I was in an elevator with my husband and my mom in 2011 when both of them looked at me and said, you should start your own business. One of us needs to do something more entrepreneurial and take some upside risk. And my mother said, go for it. We've got you. I'll be there. That moment and those two people put me on the path that I am today. Universe sends you messages all the time. Just listen. Hey there. Welcome to How I Got Hired. This is a show about ordinary people like you and me and how they created extraordinary success in their career. My name is Sonal Behel, an international career strategist and founder of Supercharge. I strongly believe that a fulfilling career is a birthright and not a privilege for the lucky few who have access to prestigious education, capital, and networks. I am now on a mission to democratize access to high-value career advice with my digital courses, with my YouTube channel, and yes, with this podcast. So listen, you deserve to have a career you actually love. Even if you just got laid off, even if you took years off work to take care of a family member, even if you are underpaid and overworked. If you're looking for practical strategies and tactics to build a career and life that you are proud of, you are in the right place. Welcome. And once you're done listening, I want you to walk away with this singular thought. If they could do it, I can do it too. Now grab your favorite warm beverage and let's get started. Hey there, welcome back. Welcome back. My guest today is a finance firebrand. (laughs) That's what I call her. And private capital advisor, Sonena Sinha, who is now at Raymond James. And if you haven't heard of Raymond James, it's a global financial services leader whose total client assets are over 1.1 trillion. Yes, I said trillion. So as my listener, you know really well, I look far and wide on the interweb for super interesting guests and today is no different. There's so many reasons I wanted to bring Sunaina to the show. And even though, you know, she got her education at Harvard Business School, Stanford, I mean, that's great, uh, amazing. It's not the only reason, right? Serena's career has been super interesting, not always linear. And if you're a regular listener to the show, you know we love interesting non-linear careers. The other reason is that there's so few women in this space, private capital, finance, you know, that world. And thirdly, there's so few women who look like me, frankly speaking. Yeah. And if you want to get a bit more granular, there are very few women who look like me, who weren't even born in the countries they live and work in. There's so much we can learn from Sunaina. Super excited to have you here on the show, Sunaina. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to speak with you today, Sonal. Amazing. I think this is going to be such a good conversation. So I can't wait. I'm going to get started, Sunaina. My sort of signature style is I start out greedy with big fat questions, and then I get more greedy. <laughs> Bring it on, Sona. Let's do it. Let's try to feed the, the hunger here. Oh, they're insatiable. I don't know if you want to do that. Okay. <laughs> so talk to us about the Sonera, particularly like before HBS and Stanford and all the cool stuff that you were doing. Where'd you grow up? What was the upbringing like? And all of this engineering and you know math and all of that stuff was that always a given was that you know the Indian sort of parental mindset talk to us about that younger Sunaina so the younger Sunaina was a citoyen du monde a citizen of the world because of the way her father raised her Mm. so my father was a diplomat he worked at the world bank and Mm. With the World Bank, the job went every three to five years, you move to a new country. So when I was eight, I moved to Lagos, Nigeria. Mm. And from Nigeria, we moved to Zimbabwe, where I did most of my schooling in Harare. Mm. And from there, we moved to Hanoi, Vietnam. So, you know, I am what they call a TCK, a third culture kid. Somebody who's born in one location, 
grows up in several others, but is now resident in yet another location. So my upbringing taught me two main things. The first and the most invaluable gift my parents gave me through that journey was adaptability. Mm. You know, today you could drop me into any country, any type of folks from anywhere in the world, and I'll find a way to resonate with them and to get along. I think growing up in so many different cultures taught me that people are just people. When you strip back the the uh, uh, perceived differences, you're looking at another human being on the other side of the table. And you have to find a way to connect with them. Mm. And that mm. happened, firstly, watching him, he was a diplomat. Mm. But B, also living that with him in all of these different countries where I would have to I would often go to the local schools. I went to the local school in Harare. I went to a local school in Nigeria. Oh. In Hanoi, I went to an international school, but there were seven of us in the graduating class. Because all, all seven of you, all seven of us, because the school hadn't been around that long. Hanoi, Vietnam was just opening its work, its, its, its doors to the world. And my father was one of the few first few diplomats there. And it was that adaptability muscle still remains incredibly strong that I can I can get along with pretty much anybody Anybody. anywhere in the world. The second Mm. is resilience. Mm. Right. Today, we talk so much as parents about resilience. We hear this buzzword around here. What is resilience? Resilience is nothing but really hard times that you experience and you find a way to get you through. For me, at the age of 16, moving countries from sub-Saharan Africa to Southeast Asia, this is pre-internet days where the internet has just started. It was. And I, I want to pause here. And just being a teenager and being 16 completely. is hard enough. Completely. And then you turn up in this place, you have none of your friends, none of your comfort system. You, at 16, your friends are the most important people in your life. Full stop, end of story. So figuring out how you're going to reset. Yeah. After all that comfort is taken away from you and now you're in this new place, you're in Hanoi. Yeah. Right, yeah. where you don't understand the, the the language, the you don't understand what's happening around you, and oh, by the way, you have to graduate high school, and in about six months' time, you're applying to college. Oh my god, that's hard. That's resilience, and it, I'm yes. the oldest of four. Mm. If you ask me, or you ask my sisters or my brother, mm. they'll tell you the same thing. We learned it the way it's meant to be learned, not in a textbook, yeah. not yeah. by just yeah. getting a B in a class or not making it into a such and such sports team. We're really living through these journeys that were really these these transition points in life that were really hard at the time, but we got through it and that built that resilience muscle for whatever life threw at us next. Wow. Wow. What a start. I mean, I have so many follow-up questions here. I want to, but I want to say quickly, I'm imagining lots of letter writing, like good old fashioned yes. pen and paper, yeah. pen pals Do going on. Pals? <laughs> Dude, I mean, we had no choice. If you're listening and you're like brought up in the 2000s, just don't judge us. Okay. Yes. This was the Sorry, way we yes. did things. And it improved our penmanship, which I've got to say this generation is unfortunately missing out totally. on. <laughs> anyway, the other thing I want to say is, you know, adaptable, resilient, when you were going through it, right? Because you're you're talking about this now, all these years later, but when you were going through it, were you all already grateful to your parents? Or was it like, one day you will thank us? And you were like, yeah, yeah. Or did you already feel that? Oh, I was a teenager. I was in the yeah, yeah camp. So no, <laughs> let's be very honest. My siblings were in the yeah, yeah camp as well. You know, when you're that age and going through something so monumental, you can't help but think this is the end of the world. But think about it these days. When you think about the mental health crises that are happening in so many societies, it's the same thing. That something happens that you didn't want or something that you wanted didn't happen. It feels like the end of the world. But it's it's only by building the muscle of actually it's not the end of the world. It'll pass. That this too shall pass sooner or later. You won't feel the same way about it tomorrow morning as you do today, next week as you do today, next month as you do today. It will get better and it will go, you will move on to something else. That you have to go through a few times and realize that is the path without trying to consume your life. But when you're in the moment and you're only 13 or 16 years old, it's a big deal. It is a big deal, you know, and and the victim mindset is very real um, at that time, right? And it it can be very tempting to stay with it. So um, this is super important that what I'm taking away, Sunaina, is that you pretty much never grew up in any country where people look like you. You didn't grow up in India. Never. I was always the outsider. Interesting. I was always, always the, oh, the outsider. I think I know the title of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> always the outsider. Even today, 
in private equity, oh. less than 2% of, of senior leaders are women. And so yes. always the answer. Women of color, <laughs> that is a women of color. That's a whole oh, different percentage. A whole <laughs> different percentage. People it's not even one, right? Part. It's 0. 0.0 yeah. something. Completely, completely. Oh, okay. And I think that that's been the title of my life, if I have to actually be honest with you. I um, see a book in you, Sunaira. And <laughs> literally like the title, Always the Outsider. Always um, the Outsider. You know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, you know, when we said, yeah, yeah, you know, the cynic, we know those cynics. We've seen those cynics in our life. We've seen them at work. Sometimes we see them in our own sort of family relative circle. Let's say someone listening today is like, yeah, yeah, good for her. Her dad was a diplomat, right? So she got to yeah. do all of this. Lucky Sunena, I'm not that lucky, right? So what would you say to this person that, you know, those muscles and everything that you've built in terms of adaptability, resilience, there are different ways to build it. And this is one way to build it. That's exactly right. You know, my journey is so is, is atypical because of the, the, the diplomats meandering, wandering life that my parents led. And by the way, chose to have me leave, live that life with them. They could have sent us to boarding school, but they chose for us to experience the world. Or they way. could have sent you, like, which which was very common back in the day, right? They would they could have left you with their parents. It, absolutely. So you could have been brought up by your grandparents, I which, could have been was, brought which up wasn't by my a parents. big deal that time. Mm-hmm. Not at all. It was perfectly normal back then. Even, you know, remember when you would just go spend the entire summer. Now you're like, what, oh, yeah. three, four months with your grandparents? But that was normal back then, too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my advice to all young people listening, men and women, is to lean into the unfamiliar. That builds adaptability. How can you adapt to something that's the same as what you have around you today? Okay. Mm. But you're not building the adaptability muscle if you're always in your comfort zone. So lesson number one, anybody listening, is there will always be the universe has a way of testing you now and again Mm. with something that's different. Mm. And and so you don't have to tear up the playbook that is in front of you and just go whole hog into it. But where the unfamiliarity lies, maybe it's in a relationship, right? Maybe there's a new person in your life, friend, colleague, coworker, partner, whatever it is, lean into the unfamiliar. Maybe it's a new task. It's a new skill. Maybe it's a new hobby. Maybe you're going to join a dance class. Lean into something unfamiliar in your life because if nothing else, it teaches you about adaptability and how do you make the most of the situation for that short amount of time that you might be there and then you may say, okay, it's not for me. I tried it. But if you don't give it a shot, you will never know. Number two, on resilience, we all have the ability to build that resilience muscle. So this is one of my biggest pain points when it comes to my employees, my kids, Mm -hmm. Young people in general today is there seems to be this incredible desire to run away from pain. But unfortunately, and fortunately, painful moments in life will always be there. And it's up to you what attitude and mindset you bring to it. And oftentimes, the mindset I see is can someone just solve this for me? I.e., I'll complain about it. Or B, can I run away from it? The can path of it? least resistance path of is least not resistance. Let me always run. the best path. It's not Correct. always. No. Avoidance, complain, let someone else try to solve this for me. Or just, you know, what I call the ostrich model, put your head in the sand and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. None of that's going to teach you resilience, right? Yeah. Even if it's the smallest issue that yeah. somebody bumps into you and drops your lunch on, on the street. How do you react to that situation is how you're building your resilience muscle, right? Those moments of pain. My biggest mantra is pain is the best teacher in life. Hmm. So the faster you ask yourself, what is this moment here to teach me? Actually, I shouldn't be running around with my sandwich. Maybe I should put it away in a bag and hold it in a bag. Whatever that lesson is, big or small, ask yourself, what is this moment here to teach me? And really answer it, because if you don't answer it, the universe will keep teaching you that same, same lesson again and again, more and more painfully with greater and greater cost. Exactly. And then it's like, hey, you again? And the universe is like, you didn't get it the last time. You didn't get it. Sorry, I'm back. (laughs) How many people do we know that the same story keeps repeating itself with different avatars? We all know those people. Maybe it's happened to you. It certainly has happened to me. Yeah. Like, wow, this same pattern repeats itself, but it keeps repeating itself because you haven't changed. 
Yeah. You haven't learned the lesson. And so unless you pivot, nothing will change. My big takeaway to anybody listening is nothing needs to change in the people and environment around you for you to have a completely different experience of your life. I'm going to repeat no. that because it's so important. Yeah. Yes. Nothing needs to change externally for yeah. you to have a completely different life and different experience of your life. It's all a mental game. It's all, it's all your mental ability game. to channel your yeah. mind. All it yeah. is. No, I 100% get that. And, and I'm thinking big things, small things. They equally like are trying to teach you something. Uh, a, a quick side note here. When I moved to South America, had to pick up the language. I had to learn Spanish quickly. Interviewing in 100% Spanish, working in 100% Spanish speaking wow. environment is not a joke. Nobody looked no. like me. But, you know, oh, I, oh, I can take classes. I can do this. Yes, it takes time. I sound like a moron. Doesn't matter. Same thing in Belgium. Learn French from scratch. Become fluent quickly. There's no choice. Yeah. Why, universe? Why do I always have to learn all these things in my 20s and 30s? It's so much easier for my kids today who are like growing up in that multilingual environment. Then smaller things. I don't want to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to be on camera today. Yeah, you're gonna thank yourself later. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That future you, 100%. future you is going to thank you. So speaking of all of that future you, so you're growing up around this world and the time comes to, you know, sort of study. How did you decide that, oh, I want to study in the US and talk to us about getting into places like HPS and Stanford, which let's, I don't want to sound like this scarcity mindset person, but they are so competitive, it's so difficult to get into these schools and you get into these names. What helped you, Selena? To stand out yes so you know life is an arc where only as steve job says looking backwards yes. can you tell your story I, my favorite quote yes i love that quote of his because it's so true yes and when i now look back and think about these competitive school environments where your kids are studying my kids are studying the listeners may have kids are studying yeah. i'm like my goodness i don't think i would have made any kind of cut given given how overachieving these kids are these days but remember i applied from hanoi in vietnam with mm. a very unique story of all of these cultures where i had worked and studied or done community service done my activities shown leadership potential but here's the twist in Hanoi, there was no SAT center, and you needed the SATs, Sydney's mm-hmm. SAT ones and twos were mandatory back when I was applying. And by the way, there were also no alumni from any of the major schools, so I couldn't interview there. So mm-hmm. my father had to fly me to Bangkok. Um, my mom came once, my dad came once for me to take my tests and then fly me to Bangkok again to have my interviews. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was quite a t- twisting ourselves into mm-hmm. a pretzel just mm-hmm. to apply. <laughs> but we applied and this was back in the day when you know the common app online didn't exist the internet was yeah. still a, a, a young phenomena this is when you had to send dhl packs of all your written yeah. essays etc so and you remember, got the news on like envelope so most of the news arrived by envelope oh. and some of the news didn't arrive because the envelope didn't arrive <laughs> And so we had to call the school and get through six different switchboards and say, please tell us on the phone because you're and a very expensive, a very expensive phone call at that. Back very expensive, but you were shouting into the phone. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> so it was a saga, but I got into a number of schools. Sanford was one of them. And my Indian parents, being Indian parents, were like, well, we don't really know anybody in all of these other locations on the East Coast, but we have some family in the Bay Area going to the Bay Area. Okay. It was, you know, it was, of course, Stanford's a terrific school, but yeah. so are the other Ivy Leagues. I got into a couple of yeah. other Ivy Leagues, but there's familiarity with the Bay Area because of some family connections there. We've been to California, Northern California. Sounds familiar. That's where you're going. Remember, I was yeah. going 22 hours away from my mom and yeah. dad. And Basically a day, a day. There was a day gap. <laughs> Completely. And so that's how I went to Stanford. I just chose to do engineering. You asked an interesting question. Why engineering? Hmm. You know, this is me being practical. My parents were like, just go study whatever you want to study. Um, knowing that with a Stanford degree, no matter what the degree was, I was likely going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But I chose to do engineering, A, because I had an analytical brain anyway. I enjoy pattern recognition, right? Mm-hmm. I've always enjoyed seeing a variety of data and stitching a pattern from it. What is the data trying to tell me? That was always my jam. Everyone has a jam. That was mine. 
But B, I also was pretty practical saying, listen, I'm at Stanford, one of the greatest bastions of innovation and creativity in the world. Um, and none more so than its engineering school. I want to be part of that, that history here. And so I did my undergrad in industrial engineering, my master's in chemical engineering. That was also a twist. Back to always the outsider. Chemical engineering master's program had never at that point taken someone that hadn't had an undergraduate as well in chemical engineering, taking ah. an undergraduate in industrial engineering. They had to go through all sorts of prerequisites. What just made to- you switch from industrial to chemical? I wanted to deepen my understanding of bioengineering, which Mm. was a space I was fascinated by, especially Mm. drug delivery. Mm. And the gentleman who ran the, um, the professor who ran the chemical engineering program, he's very famous. His name is Professor Channing Robertson. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a pioneer of the AIDS vaccine, the malaria Mm -hmm. vaccine, terrific, terrific gentleman, a human being, but also professor. I was just, I really was passionate about what he was teaching. And so Mm -hmm. I told him, I went to him, I said, I want to do a master's here. Tell me what I need to do. He's like, wow, I've never had someone from industrial engineering want to come and switch, but here are the list of classes you have to take just to qualify. If you take them, I'll let you in. And so I did. But those were my two degrees. And then I did go into bioengineering. I went into the biotech industry for three, four years. Yes. I realized something very quickly, and this is a lesson. There's a lesson in this for any listener. Um, that life will often not tell you what you're meant for, but it will mm-hmm. tell you what you're not meant for. And uh-huh. while I was so fascinated by the theory and the book reading of bioengineering, when I was working in biotech, I realized two things very quickly. Number one, I was never going to be a subject matter expert in the room. For that, I had to go get an MD, PhD, become a doctor, uh-huh. become a scientist. Uh-huh. I was uh-huh. never going to be the expert on that molecule, whatever molecule, or whatever drug delivery system, or whatever device we were talking about. And number two, it really mattered to me that I believe in what I'm selling or putting forward because we're I, all I, selling something. Yes, yes. Right? And yes. for me, it was really hard to say, please pharma company X, buy this little liquid in this vial, which might become a drug in 10 years time and might save lives with 10% probability. That didn't quite do it for me. Now, there's lots of people who've had long, wonderful careers in biotech, but for me, that wasn't enough, especially the combination of those two things. And that's why I said, okay, I need a break. I need to think about what my career journey is going to be next. And that's why I applied to MBA school and went to- uh, that's that's where we're going to take a pause because I want to like unpack so much <laughs> so much you dropped right here, Sonena. So I've heard this from um other guests as well. And and while it's one of the pieces of the puzzle, it's a very important piece of the puzzle. And that is when you, so if you're you know, in the process of studying something or your kids are in the process of choosing to study something, what is it that you naturally enjoy it doesn't feel forced and you said it was pattern recognition whatever it just helps to know yourself a little bit and this is what I like this is what I don't like I enjoy this I have an analytical brain even if you don't know what you have but you enjoy it and maybe it's the universe's way of saying let me give you more of that you like it got 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 time for more I'll give you more so that is really interesting and yes now I want to get provocative with you here because you said something that I've not really heard other guests speak about. You need to know and understand and believe the thing you're selling because we're all selling something. And I, I we're all selling something. Yeah. Yes, you need to know, understand, and believe the thing that you're selling. And that is why you decided to move to finance, which is why you you did HBS from yeah. biotech. And and you you said closely related to that. I will never be the expert in that thing unless I do a specialization, which is not a joke. It's like seven more years of study, right. uh, not, not everyone's cup of tea. So does that mean what you're saying? That only someone who has studied biochemistry should work in biotech and so on and so forth? Not what I'm saying at all. It depends <laughs> on what you want to do in life. Right. Mm. If you want to work in the biotech field, but you're in biotech marketing, right, you're Mm. doing marketing or you're Mm. doing uh, product design or you're doing business development or you're the CFO. Absolutely. You don't have to have an MD or a PhD to Mm. do that. You can be the CFO Mm. of any company, including a biotech company. Sure, because transferable skills. Mm. Correct. Mm. It depends on what your ambitions in life. 
And I knew from a very young age, my very first boss told me this in my goodbye party saying, listen, Sunana, I was 22 years old and there was about 14, 15 people at dinner in Palo Alto. And he said to me then, and I've never forgotten his words, he said, listen, my parting words to you are, you're not meant to be an employee. You're meant to be an entrepreneur. The sooner you start a business, the happier the whole world will be and you will be too. Because I always knew I wanted to lead. I always knew I wanted to build. I didn't know what I wanted to build. I didn't know what I wanted to lead. But Sonal, it was always a part of my DNA. My parents will tell you that they saw it at the age of four when I decided to, you know, lead the charge at nursery or kindergarten on some production we were doing that year. Mm. But it was always innate in me. And it was always this desire and this burning passion I had that I have to build. I'm here on this earth to build something. And I knew I couldn't build and lead in biotech easily for that. If you do, again, pattern recognition, you needed to have the subject matter expertise because you as a CEO have to be able to know the science to tell the science. And that's Got why. So, but, so, but we also have to recognize that not everybody has that very same ambition. Some people want yeah. to be the CFO. Yeah. Some people want to be the CMO, the chief marketing yeah. officer. Yeah. None of those things you need or to be. HR or HR or anything exactly. else. And, and it's not like one is better than the other because they exactly. cannot survive on their own. Indeed. Right. But it must have been, I don't know. I got goosebumps listening. It must have been so chilling and interesting to hear articulated something you knew deep down for such a long time. And that also articulated by someone you respect. Absolutely. And the fact that he saw me. Mm. We are all need to be seen and mm. understood. Mm. And I would say that, you know, um, those cu- first couple of bosses in biotech um, became very good friends, mm. still are. Mm. And they saw me and they saw mm. me as the potential that I am. I would not have gotten into Harvard Business School without their references and recommendations. Just no question, because when you're doing MBA after having worked for a few years, as everyone knows, for that, you need singing sure. references from your employer. Sure. And they were my first backers back when I really didn't know anything. So when you think about, you know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. There are a few giants whose shoulders I've stood on. They very much are two of them. Exactly, exactly. And it's good to know that Harvard encouraged career changers, right? For you to be doing, you know, coming from a completely different world and you're like, hey, I want to learn about business. So um, it definitely helps to have sort of testimonials and the stamp effect, which clearly worked for you. And so if I'm correct here, Sunaina, right after business school, right? Bridgewater was your first um, first role in finance? It was. I graduated from, I, you know, I timed my graduations perfectly. The first graduation from Stanford was in 2003 at the yep. trough of the dot-com bubble burst. Yes, you escaped. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> no, it was literally like, you know, the bubble burst in 2000 and I was yeah. graduating and we were in a recession. Wow, that was hard. And That's then I went good. to a business school and graduated in the summer of 2007, just ah. as Bear Stearns had gone under. This yes. is just before, a few months before. Ah, me. got it. I just got it. Brilliant timing, both times yes. around. And I was grateful that because I'd been to HBS, I could even apply for this career switch. But I had no idea who was going to take me soon. I mean, I literally was spraying and praying. For the spraying and praying. And, and what helped you to get hired by Bridgewater? You know, they had a very rigorous interviewing process on campus. Mm-hmm. And I took part in that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Bridgewater was unique in that It continues to be unique from what I understand in that it wasn't looking for hardcore finance experience. They were were testing for other skills, which was a very unique way to interview. Now, when I interview for people to work for my business, we're also trying to get to, okay, there's your knowledge, but we can give you knowledge too. You can get more knowledge, but what are your innate skills? Can you sell? Can you speak and debate? Can you challenge? Can you think critically? Those were the skills they were testing Problem for. And solved. I seem to have tested yes. enough, well enough for Got that. It. Let's put it that Got way. Got it. <laughs> and your analytical skills came to, you know, came to the forefront. I, I hate the word soft skills. That word has to be banned from the Completely. English dictionary because that can be the, I hate to say stereotypical, but that can be the game changer. And that clearly um, helped you to stand out where they weren't looking for hardcore finance skills. And I love that they said that. We can teach you that. 
what is the stuff you're bringing with you in your luggage? Because we need that right away. And the rest of the stuff, we'll carry on luggage. <laughs> we'll, we'll give that Completely. to you. Completely. And I want to pick up on your point about soft huh? skills. Soft huh? skills are the hardest part. Oh and my the God. soft skills are the hard, hard thing, the hard skill that you have to yes. crack. And without yes. that... No. Nothing else. Your exactly. Just, you will hit a ceiling so fast and wonder why you keep hitting it. Exactly. It's because of that reason. I think I've been saying it for 20 years. The soft stuff is the hard stuff. And the hard stuff is actually easy yeah. because you can learn that in a classroom. Uh, but the exactly soft stuff, right. which comes from, you know, working and practice and coaching and mentoring, that takes a long, long time um, to master. It. I, I don't think you ever, I don't think you ever master it. It's a, it's a, it's a daily experience. Completely. So you work at Bridgewater a couple of years and then something happens. So Nana, you start your own company. We need to talk about that, that transition, that bridge. Yeah. What happened there? Well, I did Bridgewater for um, so a short bridge. period of time. Tell us the bridge, yeah, literally, like but fun the bridges, I moved to London to <laughs> uh-huh. work at another large hedge fund called Brevin Howard. Um, and, and your first that, role at Bridgewater, was that in uh, the U.S.? It, that was in U.S. That was and in my US. Okay. then boyfriend, now husband, was hmm. working and living in London. Hmm. And, you know, he we'd been doing long, long distance for a couple of years. And I can't say I moved for... Any other reason other than love, I could have been anywhere. Sure. But I it's chose, always love. There's always love. It's in always the, love. In the you have reasons. to bring love yes. into it. I yes. have to say that, you know, again, the arc of destiny and the arc of your journey of your life comes into um, relief over time. And for me, that London move was pivotal. I moved to London. I worked for Brevin Howard for a period mm. of time. Mm. Um, it became clear to me that I was quite good at what I did, which was. Mm capital raising for these large asset managers. Hmm. And it also became clear to me that if I had ever an opportunity to start a business, back then in 2011, I had had enough experience. I had a Rolodex of investors from whom I could show this track record from. And it was really up to me to do one of two things. Either I could go off and get a third job and keep on this job, you know, job after job and rising in Hmm. title and rising in salary. Or at that point, I had very little downside in my life risk. I was not married. I had no kids. I had no mortgages. I knew I was always going to be employable. But if I ever had to give it a go, it was then. It and was I then started, and you remembered the words of your first boss. I remember the words of my first boss. And I said, listen, I'll try it for a year or two. If it mm-hmm. doesn't work, I'll go get another job anyway. And mm-hmm. I'm always going to be thankful to my former employer, Brevin Howard, which is one of the world's largest asset managers, who became my first client. So the Mm. day I opened my doors, they were client number one. Mm. Um, And always be grateful to them for that. And on the back of them, a couple of other clients joined pretty much at Mm. the start. Mm -hmm. Started working for them. For the first seven, eight months, it was just me, myself, and I. And I had no employees. I had no no investors. Mm. I just decided to execute on the work that was in front of me, show Mm. some success, and about 10 months later, I hired my first employee and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. And and the name of your company, uh, you when you started it, you called it Sibyl, C-E-B-I-L-E. Yeah. What does that mean, Sunena? Sibyl means wealthy in more ways than money. So not wealthy in money, but only in ways more than money. So wealthy in health and friendship and family and laughter and I thought it was such a perfect name what, for this What industry. is the language source? It's a Zimbabwean dialect. There's a Zimbabwean language called Ndebele. And Sibile is a word from um, that language. And firstly, I thought it was so appropriate for this industry. And secondly, yeah. I thought it was unique. So um, I always want people to say, what does that mean? Yeah. So we could and, then and have thirdly, this conversation. <laughs> exactly. And thirdly, it pays homage to your Harare, time in Harare, right? It does. Which, it pays uh, homage to a very pivotal time in my life. Exactly. Very pivotal time. That's beautiful. And And after that, was it word of mouth? You know, getting clients through the door? Oh, so no, I wish it was. Oh, so I want to talk to, hard. Yeah, it sounds beautiful <laughs> and, you know, rainbows and unicorns. I want to know the, the, the crappy stuff now. So oh, okay. talk to Let us about how you, hard it was. 
Let me tell you. Remember we said pain in the beginning, you talked about pain. We need to hear the pain and the growing pains that you went through. Now everyone looks at the glamour of I'm on TV and I got all these recognitions and awards. It's all my business. But people forget the grind in between. And it (sighs) was such a grind. And you'll relate. And I think many listeners will relate. And by the way, even if you're not an entrepreneur, your career is a grind when you are sitting there formatting an Excel spreadsheet or formatting a presentation at some 10 p.m. at night and you're like, what am I doing here? Yeah, It's that small moments that lead to the medium moments that lead to the big moments. And for me, it was really hard from essentially opening the doors to even now it continues to be hard, but hard in ways that I can now frame it better, cope with it better understand it deeper because back when it's happening to you for the first time you're like what is happening why is it so hard to find employees why is it hard to retain them why is it hard to get more clients oh I've been so busy doing the work for these clients I haven't been doing new marketing for new clients that old seesaw between existing work and finding new work you have to live it to learn those lessons And boy, did I live it because not only did I get married after I started the business, I had three children, three pregnancies, three breastfeedings, three madness years when the kids were babies that I had to navigate on top of having employees and clients and so on. I will tell you some of the hardest moments have been the physical drain of being pregnant or breastfeeding with the travel, because my job is inherently global. I live in London, but business is global, always has been. More than half our revenues always come from places outside of the UK, which always meant I was on the road. And that was extremely excruciating and a huge sacrifice. You know, I didn't have any financial investors in my business, but the investors in my business, they were. And they were my husband and my children and my family. And all of you, the first investor in your business is of course yourself, but right there with you is your family because they sacrifice you to the calling that you've asked. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And you know, I also, this hits home really hard. And I think that, you know, as ashamed I (laughs) as ashamed I am as to say it, is they invest in you, et cetera, but they, you know, like the return on investment, right? They don't always get the best of you, especially in the beginning. Yes. It's hard. You, you're yes. saving your energy for those meetings, for those clients, for the media interviews. You come home, you're like, oh, dude, I'm just exhausted. Can you yes. do this for me? Can you do that? And it's like, yes. uh, I, I just want to sleep. And like, hey, what? It's Monday already. And, yeah. Hey, where is she? She's gone. Yes. So uh, the ROI is particularly hard um, for everyone. But, you know, I, I totally I hear you on that. And so, Nana, does any particular moment or incident come to mind where you still remember today like the lowest of the low you wanted to throw in the towel maybe you were close to it maybe I'm being dramatic right now no you're not but you we've but all you had didn't. it but you didn't and what kept you going yes so uh there were so many so moments so I'll pick up on two mm. um you know I had a really hard time postnatally after one of my kids And I remember a couple of months after he was born, I was on a flight to the U.S. because I had to go. And I'd been trying so hard to keep my breastfeeding routine going and pumping and saving up. Pump and dump. I'm doing all of that drama. And long story short, I saved up all this milk. I needed to bring it back to breastfeed him. Otherwise, he was going to be on formula for way too long. I wanted to avoid that. I'd put so much pressure on myself for that. And I got on this virgin flight and they wouldn't store my milk, which means on that 11-hour flight, my milk was essentially going to go bad. Mm. And I remember being in the virgin bathroom on this transcontinental flight, pouring my milk literally down the drain. Oh. And in complete tears and saying, I can't do this anymore. <sighs> I won't do this. I won't do this to my body. I won't do this to my mind. I won't do this to my child. I won't do this to my family. Why? Why should I go on? Right. And that's the, so that's one moment. But there's so many other moments like it um, of failures. Being an entrepreneur is to become a ninja at failing. And the faster you learn to fail well, the better you will actually do because you learn mm-hmm. the lessons and pivot. Mm-hmm. And you realize you won't make that lesson again. You'll make you'll mistake again. You'll make new ones. And by, by God, I did. 
But in that hard moment in that bathroom, as with any of the hard moments in the last 11 years, I went into myself and I meditated, right? So my superpower, uh, you know, I've, no matter what people say, people ascribe lots of superpowers to me and they call me lots of wonderful things. But my only superpower is my ability to meditate and reset my mind. And it's something you can do. It's mm-hmm. something every single listener can do. It's free. Yeah. It's you don't have to pay anything yeah. for it. Yeah. And, you know, we talk so much, Sonal, as a society about how, what we do for our bodies, right? We brush our teeth because we've got to keep our teeth clean twice a day. We wash our faces and we put creams on our faces and we go to the gym because we've got to work out. What do we do for the mind? Mm. We don't do very much of anything. Mm. We go focus on it when things break. Then we're like, oh, I need help. I'm super sad. I don't know how to bounce back. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I'm this, I'm that. Then you're trying to fix it. Yeah. What do you do to strengthen it so it doesn't break? That's so true. Mental health has a negative thing. I'm having these thoughts or I'm going down this depression and, you know, bipolar and schizophrenia. Like, hey, what about the preventative side of things? Exactly. It can be fun. You know, I have to say, I'm going to stop you here, Sanana. So two things. Anybody, anybody listening, if you have seen someone breastfeeding, someone close to you breastfeeding, mm-hmm. or you yourself have done it, to throw it. I mean, it just sounds criminal to me because and, how and hard it is. And bags of it. Oh, <laughs> and I, I mean, every milliliter of it, every ounce of it is so precious because it's such hard work. I was reading somewhere the other day. I don't know what it was like. The number of hours uh, for a child, you know, to be breastfed is equal to the number of hours of full-time work for six months or something insane. So that oh is already unrecognized labor however it it keeps the next generation healthy but who cares we don't talk about that yeah which is sad the second thing is you know based on my research Serena I've heard you on about four or five podcasts and you have talked about meditation every single time and I have to tell you this I didn't plan to tell you this but I kind of have been toying with it but ever since I've heard you I've become so serious about my time in the morning to myself. And uh, I know I'm going to continue it because that's serenity, right? I don't do it like on my own. I need guidance. Mm -hmm. So I'm listening guided. Everything is free, open Spotify. You don't even have to pay Spotify. Everything is out there. And it's uh, anything from five to 15 minutes and you're going into that state. And um, I'm not a, a good student of it. But I know you you're you're very kind of you're very forgiving because you've spoken to so many uh, podcast hosts and you're like it looks different for different people. For yeah. me, my thoughts wander and I know they shouldn't, but when they're wandering, sometimes I get the best business ideas. Also true. All the source of great inspiration in there, no question. But yeah, here's what I'm gonna say to you. If you do 15 minutes of meditation and you find in it 30 seconds of stillness. Mm. That's all, 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 10 seconds today mm-hmm. and, or 30 seconds, doesn't matter. That is 30 seconds in which you have focused your mind and learned to clear it, right? Just clear it, nothing in there except the stillness that you're seeking. Tomorrow, it'll become 31 seconds and then it'll become 32 seconds. And before you know it, you'll be able to hold it for longer and longer. Incremental, and, I love that. that, yes. That's how you build a muscle, right? You're not going to go and bench press 250 Mm. pounds tomorrow, but you are going to be able to build up to it if you start. That is helpful because we we do can kind of get a bit judgy, you know, on ourselves. And I and there's there's this, there's me, and then there's hardcore Sunena who goes on these vipassana retreats and doesn't speak to. By the way, the vipassana courses are also for everybody. Complete beginners go there, but you don't have to go take yourself to that extreme. No, exactly, not at all. You can start with. I tell everybody to start with, as you've just said, five minutes a day. Put your favorite Spotify yeah. guided meditation on yeah. five minutes yeah. that's yeah. five minutes you're letting your brain and your mind decompress to a different state and you're helping it get there yourself that is so refreshing to hear this from someone who has studied finance and engineering and all of that because I've got to say there is a stereotype right that oh you know you you you're into meditation you're a bit woo um you know slightly bohemian you can be anything 
um and mm-hmm. i i read this somewhere meditation is medication Oh, meditation is medication it's it's the preventative medication for the your mind yeah if you don't yeah. want to do it the, the meditative way find some yeah. other way some people find yeah. it through deep prayer some people find it through other ways yeah. find something for you to learn how to channel your mind and direct your exactly. mind exactly nobody Especially, yeah honestly so no, nobody tells me what to feel i decide what i'm going to feel and Ooh. that ability to decide how I am going to have an experience for the next hour, that is the superpower, to be able to channel your mind and direct it exactly where you want. And by the way, things are going to happen. I keep getting knocked all the time, three times an hour, sometimes hours, right? News I don't want, news that's shocking or upsetting or or even just exhilarating. Ooh, look at this, look at look what I just got. It will knock you off center, but how long does it knock you for if oh you if you get angry today or you get yeah. sad today and you're sad for six hours and because you have a meditation practice that becomes five hours and 45 minutes that's 15 minutes of liberation oh. you have bought yourself oh it's so, so free you're, you're I love how you completely analyzed and broke this down and you're like this poster child for meditation like I've never had anybody on the show <laughs> talk about it but this is so cool I love this no one tells me how to feel no one tells me how to feel. It no reminds one decides me of, how I'm feeling. No one. <laughs> no one describes how I feel. It reminds right. me of uh, Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Nobody puts no one puts baby in a corner. Correct. Like, this, <laughs> this is me. This is my mind, right? And right. I get to decide and I get to do it my way because I have this little secret, which is not a secret. And that keeps things, you know, because we have, all of us have in some way or the other storms in our careers, in our health, yes. in our, uh, you know, family life, etc. And, yeah. and this is one way, this is one pivotal way, one very strong way to stay intact, to remember who you are and, you know, just breaths and, and things like that. Beautiful. Exactly so speaking right. of all these storms and all the cool things and, and storms and bad things. Now, let's talk about Sibile, how it caught the eye of Raymond James. Yeah. Because Raymond James is this behemoth, right? And here you are. At that point, how many people were uh, with you, um, Sonena? We were about 27 people in mm-hmm. three offices, London, New York, and LA. And the president of Global Equities and Investment Banking at Raymond James is this wonderful man called Jim Bunn. He's a terrific leader and visionary in, in, in every way. He had been looking for a business that does what we do for a few years. And he went out on a literally market mapping exercise that, listen, who exists out there that does what Sibile does? And guess what? As part of that exercise, Sibile came up and he looked at the website and said, okay, this is interesting. I'm going to reach out to her and see if she's interested in talking to me. And so he did. He cold emailed me. Very unusual. I've been approached by other investment banks before. You know, Raymond James, Fortune 500, New York Stock Exchange listed. What, why why had you said no to everyone so far? Culture fit, right? Culture I fit. Lack, knew, or the lack of it. Or the lack thereof. And it was very clear from some of the prior approaches. A, they'd come through roundabout ways. Hmm. What I appreciated about Jim's approach was, was very direct, which is my hmm. style. So, hmm. okay, he's like, listen, I'm cold emailing her. Hopefully she responds, right? And he did that. I could have, and I was like, got this email. I was like, is this for real? Is this a phishing email? I'm Googling his name. And but, I want to just pause you because I'm so yeah. excited. When you said lack of culture fit with the other places, I think this mm-hmm. is very valuable, right? Remember yes. we said earlier about the universe is telling you what you don't want. You're like, hey, Sonana, you, we don't want you to get this. Uh, what were some clues that made it very obvious? Because when I, I keep telling my clients and my you know viewers and listeners, hey, it's as much about fit for you as it is for the company stop trying to impress them all the time see what they've got because if it doesn't it's a two-way street if it doesn't fit both ways you regret it three months later you regret it six months later and you're like going back to the headhunter or a career yeah. coach and you spend big bucks so you already knew this right and and yeah. what were some of those signs that's such a good question for you to know the signs of what fits for you and doesn't fit, and that could be employer, it could be purchaser in my case, mm-hmm. it can be partner, it can be mm-hmm. friend, it can be employee, you have to know yourself. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten to know myself uh, to the point where I knew what was important to me. What was important to me was 
I needed a place with an entrepreneurial growth mindset, right? Where people are not afraid of failure and are able to embrace what it takes to be a part of growth. And growth is messy. Growth is full yeah. of failure. Yeah. Growth is never linear. It's always swings and roundabouts and you have to invest in the long game. Yeah. I need, For me, no conversation could start without an understanding of how people dealt with the growth mindset. For those of your listeners who've not read Carol Dweck's work, Stanley Professor, phenomenal, Classic. right? Yeah. yeah. And you can't be an entrepreneur, a successful business leader without embracing that. And whether it's written or said or unsaid, it doesn't matter. You have to read for it. This how was, do you detect that, Sunaina? Oh, these yeah. guys don't have growth mindset. Pattern recognition, again, back to that old phrase. So with the investment banks would approach me mm. before Raymond James and with Raymond James, I just asked about them. Mm. You know, people ask, people often ask me um, the question, listen, what's the most important skill in business? Oh, persistence, oh, this, oh, that, sales, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what the most important skill is, Sonal? Listening. Mm. Ask a lot of questions and do a mm. ton of listening. And that's what I did. And, and really listening. Really listen. Listen mm. from your three centers of intelligence, right? It's not just your mind that's listening. There's other parts of your body that listen to, listen for the whole body. Um, and I heard from Raymond James. Let me talk about what Raymond James showed me very quickly. Um, and the others struggled to show me that they were able to show me that they had taken their investment bank in five years and more than tripled it. So they knew how to do growth. They knew how to manage growth. They knew how to fund growth. They knew how to be okay with the failures of growth, good, bad, and ugly. Um, some of the other folks that had approached me were very staid. They were in steady state. And it was all about incrementally growing their businesses, um, not growing it in the way I had been used to growing Sibelia, which was essentially doubling it year on year for many years. And that journey, I needed to align with somebody who understood that. And that was part of, and that, by the way, for me, that spoke volumes about the culture of the place as well. Because mm. a culture that embraces learning from setbacks and failures is a culture that I could be a part of. And, you know, if you think about Raymond James's first and foremost message to me and to other acquisitions is made, it's all been about culture first. And I valued that because I built my place culture first too. So no, we are very different. Back to we are the outsiders, I'm the outsider. My firm was 100% continues to be, my business continues to be 100% female-led. Mm -hmm. Both the number one, two, and number three are women. It's not, I mean, it's, it's a coincidence. Or By you design, for that's it. how I built it. And mm. more than 60% of us are women and minorities, also staff, all the employees. Mm. So we're very different. And if, you know, my belief is, and my mantra mm. has always been, be the change you wish to see. So mm. how can I how can I espouse diversity if I don't create mm. a diverse culture by myself? Mm. And mm. that diversity came with a sense of cultural, you know, non-negotiables, as I call them. Mm. And part of it was a culture based on we, us, ours, not I, me, mine. Mm. A culture that was based on embracing difficulties on the growth mindset, on learning from challenges, on having an impact on communities and on our clients, all of that I needed to hear from the counterparty. Understood. And Raymond James, very much the same way. Checked, in the last it sounds time. like it checked all the boxes. Checked all the boxes. If you and think about also, where... I think your meditation, <laughs> coming yeah. back to it, I think that helped you. To, when you said listen with your senses, that really speaks to me right now because you're not just listening with your ears, you're listening with your eyes because the body language are, the body language is very loud. In fact, yes. sometimes it's louder than words. Yes. But also the third one, which is your gut, right? Yeah. And the gut kind of told you for a long time, not them, not them, not right. going to do it, forget it, over my yeah. dead body. Ooh, interesting. Interesting, and then, exactly. And then the rest is history. The rest and, is history. And that journey, Sunaina, so <laughs> employee at Bridgewater, founder at Civile, <laughs> employee again. I know. At Raymond I'm an employee James. again. <laughs> what is that like, those hats? Because it's like, you know, is it like, oh, okay, I got a boss now, you know, in like a traditional sense? Like, what has this just change been like? Oh, it's definitely been a change. For the first couple of weeks, I found it hard to get the word boss and employee out of my mouth and referring to myself. <laughs> 
I would say this, and, and members of my family would often joke with me saying, gosh, we feel really sorry for Jim Bunn, your new boss. Does he know what he's getting himself into? And so, you know, for me, it really had to work with the chemistry and working mm -hmm. relationship with him mm -hmm. was first and foremost of importance as I did this transaction. I have to work with this person for the next several years. What is he like? Can I get to know him? Can I get to know his family? Can I reference him every which way to the highway? But none of that matters. All that is just data points. None of that matters if you cannot look at the other person, whoever that person is that you have, you have to trust and believe in somebody in life, right? You, it doesn't matter if you're a sole entrepreneur, as I was at the date, until I sold the business, I was 100% shareholder. I had to look at members of my team who were key lieutenants, and I had to figure out, am I going to trust them or am I not? Am I going to come from a place of yes with them or am I not? And it was the same thing with him. I had to do the listening from the three centers of intelligence, and I had to make up my mind, is this A, a good human being, B, mm -hmm. is he humble and fallible, and C, can I figure out a working dynamic with him in which I could show up authentically? People forget that last one all the time. So no, it's, it's just, listen, yeah. I have to change myself to try to be yeah. who this other person wants me to be. That's so tiring. No, I'm tired listening to it. You know, oh, put on a brave face, man up. You got to do this. When you come home, yeah. you can let loose. I'm like, that's, is that really how it needs to be? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And for me, he was a huge proponent of the diversity Sabil brought to the table, that the way I ran my business, continue to run my business is different to how many of his other managers run their business. And he was not only okay with it, he was a champion of it and continues mm -hmm. to be. And that yeah. made all the difference to me. Made and that doesn't happen very often. You know, no. I've been part of Raymond James now over a year. So yeah. the honeymoon is long gone. Let's yeah. put it that way. I'm not talking from a place of, of, of honeymoon here. I'm talking from a place of, yeah, this is really hard. What we're doing is really hard. The market is hard. It's become harder given what's happened in the macro environment over the last six to nine months. But you know what? If you're doing it with people with whom values are aligned, you're going to figure it out together. And that continues to be the case. That continues to be the case. And I think one, two words I'm taking away is, is when we are speaking with people and we're like, this could potentially be my boss. And there's so many good qualities you listed. Two of my favorite is, are they humble and fallible? which right. means they can fail, which is very difficult for the other side to show unless their values are aligned with yours. So I, this was so important to me while I got to know him and during the due diligence period, they were due diligencing Sibyl and I was due diligencing mm -hmm. them. No question, mm -hmm. it was two-way street. And so back mm -hmm. to the point you made, mm -hmm. always has to be two ways. Yes. There were a few mistakes that were made by both parties as part of this journey. Remember, we were trying to diligence each other mm. during COVID, during the lockdowns. He put his hands up straight away saying, my bad, I'm sorry. Oh. President of a global investment bank, my bad, I'm sorry about that. And mm. I made some mistakes too saying, oops, that's on mm. me, apologies. Mm. So if two people can look at each other and be real and acknowledge mm. fault in themselves, mm. It's a huge trust and vulnerability building moment. Mm. And I found that moment with him pretty quickly through the process. Mm. And I would encourage people as they try to get to know each other in new relationships, professional or personal, to find moments of vulnerability. You share the vulnerability and see how they react and see if they open back up to you. If they don't, that's got to be a bit of a flag or orange or perhaps even a red flag. They need to be fallible to themselves because if they're not fallible to themselves, they're not going to be fallible to you. No, right? that tells you something. That tells, and you, it something tells you something about something the culture. Away. Yes, it does. It does. And you know, one of my favorite topics, Serena, and I, I produce a lot of content on it, is negotiation, whether it's salary, offer, everything. What would be your favorite negotiation tip based on the entire due diligence that you have been through? Because it must have been so robust and no stone was left unturned, you know, in the acquisition process. 100%. And it's not just selling Sabil. I was chairman of the board of a company called Barco, which is a fitness business in the UK. Sold mm. that to a private equity strategic. Mm. Also was the chairman of the board of Mindful Chef, a large 
mm. uh, recipe box business in the UK that was sold to Nestle. So I've been through this. I've seen this movie mm. a few times before. Yeah. You, you, you're, this is not your first rodeo. Not my first rodeo, but I, and I negotiate on a daily basis on behalf of clients. I'm a deal advisor at the end of the day. Um, I think the number one tip that I can give everybody who's listening, actually I'll give two, but yeah. the number one is listen hard to what's important to the other side. Yes. Because unless you create a, a perception of a win on the other side, you're not going to get to a successful endpoint, right? Mm. The other side has to feel like they got something. Yeah. Unless you listen with your whole body and understand what's really important to them, you're not going to be able to engineer a situation where they feel like they won and you also won. Mm. And you also don't know where the trades are right? How do you trade things versus each other so that you get a bit of what you want and they get a bit of what they want and you come to a successful endpoint? No negotiation. If you're railroading someone or someone's railroading for you, you that's not a negotiation. Mm. That's just railroading. That's yeah. just someone pulling power and rank on you and getting their way. Yeah. That is not the basis of a healthy partnership. In fact, that's the basis of a very one-sided, yes. ineffective one that's not going to sustain. Yes. So in order to sustain, you have to have them get a win and you get some wins. And that won't happen unless you really listen to what's important to the other side. That's number one. A lot of folks yep. just go in with, I'm going to negotiate my salary. I'm going to sit down here. I have a script prepared as to it's what's important. It's a battle. I'm in it to win it. I'm no in way. It. There you no, go. It's a partnership. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so thinking about what's important to that side, right? Is there a bigger job you can take on? Is there more responsibilities? Are they looking to downside in certain part of the business? Can you help them with that? And then justify your salary. How do you listen properly to how you can then make your case, give them a win and you get a win so they can yep. justify why you're, being, why you're being going to be paid more. That's my biggest piece of advice. My second piece of advice is know when you are trading the relationship. Mm. Right? You, you can keep pushing until the nth degree, but know when you are sacrificing the relationship with the person, you're sacrificing the human being on the other side of you in order to get what you want. Be really aware. There's no point getting a large sum of money, but then then your boss is not thinking, wow, so-and-so is just in it for themselves. They're not in it for the company. That's not somebody who has my back or the company's back. They only have their own back. Be careful of the interpersonal dynamic. Something I had to learn the hard way because when I came into negotiation as a young you know, entrepreneur, I was like, my way or my way. Well, guess what? Clients don't work like that. When you're an entrepreneur, no. nobody needs to hire you. It's a turn off. In fact, they, you're not going back. They're, they're not, not going to welcome back you there. back. You've lost yeah, it yeah, immediately. Yeah. You've lost the person. Yeah. So you've got to have an eye towards, okay, when, what, exactly how much am I willing to drive, but still keep the relationship? That's really important. And okay, how do you beautiful. reinforce the relationship at the start of the negotiation? Nowadays in my, in my negotiation, especially if it's with an employee, or with this important client, or it's with, you know, a family member because they want to take holiday in this time of the year and I want to do something. First, reaffirm that relationship. Hey, this relationship's really important to me. And if it's not, and you're not reaffirming it, that also tells you so. Hmm. That's really hmm. important. Hmm. No, I think both are very important points. And I'm so glad that you reiterated them and, and that we're on the same page. And they they... This bears repeating. Number one is you got to know, you got to understand really the only way to do it is by listening hard. I like you said, listen hard to what matters to them and find a way to give that to them. Uh, because a lot of this is perception that they're winning. That's good. And the second thing you said is, is so important when I uh, you know see people, but I could have got more. In fact, I'm going to go back in and I'm like, listen, you're very close to destroying the goodwill that exactly. you have built, Absolutely. whether it's a you know negotiation process of two months or two days or or the interview process went on and on. And then suddenly, what for a couple of thousand, you know, was is is this worth it? Because yeah, you know, some things cannot be like they say, right? That 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 vase in, in Japan is like beautiful, it's cracked, but it's still yeah. you. Yes, but you'll always see that crack. <laughs> It's not That's the right. same once That's the right. trust is broken. So this is so beautiful. So Nena, I think we could talk for hours because I, think I would could. love to talk <laughs> so much more to you. But in the interest of time, I want to ask you this particular question that I ask every single guest who's been on the show. And I'm very curious about your answer. So when you look back on your career, it's over 20 years. 
And what is that one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you to move closer to your current success? Well, for me, the moment came, I was in an elevator Mm -hmm. uh, in a lift with my husband and my mom in 2011, Mm -hmm. when both of them looked at me and said, you should start your own business. My husband said, listen, I have a very stable job in a large private equity firm. There's no point you having a nice stable job at a, a hedge fund. One of us needs to do something more entrepreneurial and take some upside risk. And my mother said, go for it. We've got you. I'll be there. Oh. Whatever you need. Those That moment and those two people put me on the path that I am today. So always give gratitude and I have so many people to thank but that moment stands out because there was so much uncertainty to that move but having them give me that push really set me on my course wow was that like you knew it in your core but that validated outside from your loved ones just became the nudge that you needed That's right. And what I will leave everyone with is that the universe sends you messages all the time. Just listen. Mm. And you may know something or you may think you know something. And you should just listen out for whether you get validating information, validating data or not. And for me, this was the biggest validation because one of the things I was worried about was what if I do get married and have kids? Who's going to help me? Mm. Is my partner going to help me? Is he going to be supportive in this journey? Mm. What other support structure do I have? And they kind of said, listen, we will figure this out. We have no idea, but we will, we got your back. We will figure this out together. And that gave me the validation I needed to say, okay, let's give this a try. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And so then if anyone's like listening right now and they want to learn about you and follow you and where are you like in the internet and, and how can they yeah. find you? Find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Uh, just search for my name, Sunaina Sinha, and you can follow me anytime. I will definitely insert your URL in the show notes. Sunana, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so happy our paths crossed <laughs> in this beautiful world. And I wish you continued success, both at Raven James and beyond. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much for having me, Sunana. What about today's episode really stayed with you? I'd love to know. And share this with a friend who you think would enjoy this episode. You know, these little things we do sometimes can have a big impact. So thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you. Until next time, bye for now.